Hey everyone, welcome to What Are You Watching? I'm Alex Withrow and I'm joined by my best man, Nick Dostal. How you doing there, Jean Jacket? Oh, I'm excited to be here big time. This is, this is, you're big (laughs) big time today, baby. (laughs) That's a nope reference. Jordan Peele's new movie, which we're going to talk about today. We're going to get to that. I just wanted to, us to hop on here and talk about new movies we've been seeing, new TV shows, just whatever, new stuff that's going on. Kind of since like Top Gun Maverick, because a lot of people have been asking me, you know, have you seen Nope? What'd you think? Have you seen The Gray Man? <laughs> What'd you think? We'll talk about it. And then I, I added up all the movies, all the new stuff I've basically seen since Top Gun Maverick. And I'm like, all right, this is a um, supremely random collection of films that I guess we could just talk about. And maybe people are interested in what we have to say about some of this stuff. But that's all this is. We're just checking in, you know. A lot of the watching we do is for the podcast, like specifically for our episodes. But I also am obsessive and see like most things, most everything. Uh, It's not an issue at all. (laughs) And, you know, this is just a good reason to be able to talk about it. So that's what we're doing here. How do you feel about it? I'm excited, man. I'm excited. I'm excited to ask you about these movies. Like these are the movies of the day that for the most part that we are talking about today. And I know that you have opinions on all of them, and I want to hear them. We usually try to keep things, you know, nice and positive, where we're trying to promote movies, good movies. We want people to see them. Uh, Some, you know, (laughs) but that's also why we don't focus on too many, like, brand new movies. Yeah. (laughs) So today, you know, it's just going to be, we'll be a little bit all over the place. Not everything today is going to be a glowing review, but I think, you know, we will have some things to add. You know, yes, we do. We highlight, we are very, very specific about the movies that we are really trying to get other people to see. The movies from the past that may have gone, you know, under the radar or forgotten about or just need to be rediscovered. But by doing that, we cannot ignore the climate of the day. These are the movies of our time. Good or bad, we have to acknowledge that these are here and... What's the takeaway in from our particular mm-hmm, mm-hmm. perspectives? Yes, absolutely. First, we're going to get into we're going to have a little story time here. Like I still I can't believe this happened. Uh, people who follow us on Twitter will know like what I'm about to go into. But for those of you who don't. Um, wow, this is just nuts. So today is Saturday. We're recording this on Wednesday. I was on BBC Radio 5 Live live radio show on the BBC talking about Paul Sorvino and Goodfellas and the way like it was just oh my god it was nuts man it was nuts I still can't believe it happened the way this all came to be is that a I so I'm just sitting here working I get an email on Tuesday just pops up and it's a producer from BBC Radio 5 Live with host Colin Murray and I'm like who the hell is this I thought it was spam they're inviting me on like right away not hey we want to vet you and I'm like what what is happening what is this for so obviously the great Paul Sorvino recently passed away and yet we were just talking about him so much on the Goodfellas pod because Ray Liotta just passed away. Ay ay ay. And in his passing, this producer apparently just went on the internet and tried to find as many articles on Paul Sorvino as she could. And eventually she came across a blog post I wrote about him in 2015 and according to her, she said of every article I've read about Sorvino today, yours is the most passionate. Like you care about him, his work on a, what seems to be a very personal level. And I'm, I'm just, and she says all this in the email and I'm like, uh, okay. 
So I had to like download WhatsApp to be able to talk to her because she's in London. <laughs> she was Irish. She was just a total, oh my God, she was so nice. And we have, you know, a pre-interview and I'm like, okay, this is actually going to happen. Like, this is crazy. So then she gives me some topics that might be discussed. We went over like eight movies that he was in. So I figured one of those eight, like I knew Goodfellas was going to be brought up, but like one or two of those eight would be brought up. But other than that, it's just, you know, it's just talking points that I have because I, I know it's going to be about 10 minutes long. I don't know how he's going to lead me in. I don't, you know, this is my first ever like live interview that it's, it's just crazy and it's happening really, really fast. So the day of on Tuesday, another producer calls me, they're vetting me, probably to make sure I'm not like, you know, a nut job or something. <laughs> and then it's like, I'm going to go live and they call me 30 minutes before and there's a, and I can like hear the live feed on my, <laughs> in my headphones that the producer's coming in like 10 minutes, Alex, cheers, mate. <laughs> like, oh, shit. And then it's like five minutes, Alex, cheers, mate. I'm like, oh shit. So, you know, I'm just like, I'm listening to the show for 20 minutes and I'm doing like some deep breathing exercises. I'm not really nervous. I'm just like, all right, this is real. And the day was weird because we're, you know, we're recording at 4.30 and it just, I had to work. It dominates my whole day. It's like the only thing I'm thinking about. I'm like, what Paul Sorvino stuff haven't I seen? I'm just doing all this stuff. And then I went for a walk like 45 minutes before the show was supposed to go on. And I, I'm like, I've worked on this a lot in my life. And you know, I'm not very good at this, but I just kind of went for a walk and was like, hey man, if there's one thing you're good at in life, it's talking about movies like that. You like, you know this about yourself. So just chill. It's all good. It's going to be 10 minutes. And so I, I just tried to carry that into it. You know, I wanted to be positive. I wanted to be upbeat. But the thing that I was kind of nervous about is how is he going to lead me in? Like, I, you know, I knew you talk about Goodfellas and my goal was to mention the pod at least once, but it had to be organic. I didn't want it to sound all hacky and shit. So we begin and I'm going to post a link like in the episode description for this episode and everything about how, so you can listen to it. It's like 10 minutes long. We start and it's going well and we're talking about Goodfellas and I'm like, okay, cool. And then I'm trying to paint a bigger picture of who he was. So I mentioned that he's um, an opera singer and a sculptor and immediately Colin like latched onto the sculptor thing and starts talking about all this sculpture stuff. So if you listen to it, when you hear him talking about sculptures and how Paul Sorvino has a sculpture in Scranton, Pennsylvania, where the office is said, I'm like shitting bricks going, I think he's going to lead this off to me. Like, I think he's going to pass this to me and want me to pick up the sculpture thread. And I got <laughs> no, no more for sculpture. So, so there's a lot of quick thinking like that going on. Again, it's going very fast, but I'm just trying to take it nice and easy. And then at the end, <laughs> it was great because he starts mentioning Paul Sorvino's daughter. And in my pre-interview with the producer, we talked a lot about how Paul Sorvino's daughter, Mira Sorvino, won the Best Supporting Actress Oscar in 1995. It's a great Oscar moment. So I'm 100% confident that's what he's teeing me up for. And then he zags and starts talking about his other daughter, Amanda, who I've never heard of, and this animal sanctuary. And I was like, oh, shit, I have no idea what he's talking about. So I just, you know, tried to own it and laugh it off. It was a really cool piece of trivia. So I just wanted to give a little insight into what was going on in my head. but. It was very, um, it was very cool. It's still really surreal that it happened, and a lot of people reached out to me about it, which is really nice. So, yeah, again, I'll post the post the link in the episode description here, and and it's on our Twitter if you go on our Twitter. But yeah, it was nuts. And dude, it was, nuts. It, it was fantastic. <laughs> it was a really, really well done interview on both of your parts. 
It felt like yeah, you guys had, great. It felt like you guys had known each other for years. Everything that you said was interesting and and well spoken. I mean, imagine that you well spoken. <laughs> Going to try to give you too <laughs> many tried. compliments to 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 stroke that ego. But um, no, man, it was it. I I couldn't have been more proud. To seriously, like I was listening to it live, and it was really really well done on your part. Like I know it had to be nerve wracking. Yeah, but. You carried yourself like how you do here. It's it was natural. It was informative. It was enthusiastic. It had everything that you your passion for film, movies, and for everything for this actor that you were paying tribute to shine through on everything. Yeah, man, it was great. It was and and you represented. What are you watching? Like hell like yeah to the hell extreme. Yeah. It was fucking great. <laughs> Uh, that was when I was able to like weave it in. I went, all right, here's my in. And you know, it's, I've never done live radio, but I've listened to so many interviews. I know to keep it like interesting, but concise, like don't ramble. He's got me in a 10 minute block here and try to get, you know, as many things, as many topics can be brought on as possible. But you know, it was just, it was again, the, the rush of the unexpected rush of support that followed it, including you calling me like right after it was really, you know, a lot of the surprises in my life have not been that fun. Mm. You know, we've all mm. had not fun surprises, right? And it's just nice when you're completely blindsided by something so positive. There was nothing remotely bad about it. Anything that could have been bad about it would have been in my head first. Like, there's always, yeah. you know, I'm, I'll, I'll get a little real. Like, I know because of my chemical wiring that on the day of something like that or on my wedding day or any quote unquote like big deal day like that for a good reason, I am going to get hit and it will feel like a ton of bricks of sadness mm -hmm. that my mom's not here to share it with me. And that just comes with the territory. I know, And it happened when I was at the gym <laughs> to Wednesday morning and I'm like, oh, so now you're going to, okay, now we're going to cry, like lifting weights. What, okay. And you know, you just like take a few minutes to yourself and, and then process that and then, you know, funnels it out. And that was it. And I got to talk to my aunts, my mom's sisters about that very thing. So that was cool. But th that's what I mean. Like the only bad thing that could have happened from it is stuff that I would have created in my own head, like being nervous or something. And ultimately, you just got to like, you know, you just got to chill. Don't curse. That's what I kept telling Oh, this. that's, yeah, I was going to ask <laughs> Don't that. Don't curse. Yeah. yeah. They, I mean, they didn't say that, but I, you know, they even included a clip from Goodfellas in the beginning and it has like six F-bombs in there you know, bleeping them out. And I went, all right, yeah, that's a, that's a good reminder. Don't curse. <laughs> I mean, you're generally pretty good. I'm the one that with the fucking potty mouth though. here. I just even said, I don't even know when I say fuck, like fuck just comes out. So I think naturally. I curse way more no. than you. You don't think so? I think I curse way more. Not in real. I don't know. You know, we'll put it. I curse a lot in real life, like all the time. I dumb it down on this podcast because I know like my dad, family members listen to it. I mean, I'll curse around my dad. I don't give a fuck. Hey, dad. <laughs> but I'm just saying. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. I remember when we first started, we tried to check ourselves with that. And then at one we point. We weren't going to curse at all. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. and then somewhere down the line, we were like, ah, fuck it. It's over now. Well, once I called you a fucking asshole, the, <laughs> the 1973 podcast with my cracking oh. voice. Oh, we did it way before then. I'm totally going to loop <laughs> in that clip. It's been a while. <laughs> You're so a fucking asshole. I took you to the fucking stairs <laughs> exactly. in Georgetown. And I was like, look, dude, this is where he fell down. Holy shit. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. But it was all over. It was all over at that point. So, yes, Paul Sorvino, rest in peace. I, I went on. 
I had about 26 hours from when she contacted me to when we went live. I was watching stuff for our upcoming pods and just to push all that aside. And it's like, all right, Paul Sorvino binge right now. Yeah. Like, I need to rewatch at least his scenes from the movies we mentioned. And I did that for all the movies we mentioned, except one. And th- we'll move on after this. But I mentioned that the producer and I talked about like eight Paul Sorvino movies that could come up. Goodfellas, I put it number one. I know he's going to mention that. And then I had them like a loose ranking of what I think he might bring up. All the way at number eight was The Gambler. It's all the way down there. I had no idea he was going to go there with it. And he did. And that was the only I one. I loved it. I hadn't rewatched it. I was like, all right, cool. I got to, all right, let's do it. Pick it up. And it was, it's exciting. Like it was a lot of very, very fast thinking. I, just, I can't imagine doing that for a living. That's crazy. It was so fun though. So fun. Well, in the spirit of this great interview, which by the way, like every, all the followers of What Are You Watching, we will post a link. Check out this interview. It is Alex doing his thing at his best. So and it really, really is a cool deal. It's a cool deal for us as a pod. It's a cool deal for you personally. And it's a big deal for me as your friend. Like I like literally can't tell you how proud I was of it. But Oh, thank you. Oh, you're welcome, man. <laughs> First cousin? First, yeah, Finn. First cousins. Uh, deep reference. If anyone actually got that, call us out. But in the spirit of this great interview... I figured I would take the reins and interview you a bit on the movies of today. So we just picked a handful. Let's do it. Because I know you've seen them. And we're just going to kind of get into it. All right. So let's start with probably the biggest movie being talked about right now in theaters. It just got released. Nope. Jordan Peele's Nope. Talk to me. No. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, great line, uh, title line deliveries in this movie. Great. You know, just say, it's, I know it's an easy title, but they're, every time they deliver it is perfect. So it's, hmm, we've never had a proper Jordan Peele discussion on this podcast. And part of the reason of that is because, oh boy, I like every movie he's made. I do. I appreciate certain things about them. They are, they are all gorgeous. They are all extremely competently made and well acted. None of them have ever fully landed for me. And there's pretty specific reasons for both. I'll go through this quickly because, again, I'm not here to, like, talk shit. I'm all good for the acclaimed Get Out God, Oscar win, Oscar nominations, all good. I, I, no, we've never talked about this on the pod. The, um, like, 15 minutes into that movie, I'm not going to spoil it in case some people haven't seen it. It was so obvious to me what was happening. And I called it out, like, just right there. And I had no idea that they were going to save that as like the final twist. And it was so everything about it. Not like the switching the brains, you know, not that stuff, but the intentions of everyone was so obvious to me. And I I was, I was stunned that it just wasn't, uh, it seems like that movie fooled a lot of people. And I'm not someone who just because I, lo- I watch a lot of movies doesn't mean I can like call Every movie shot 15 minutes in. It's not that. It's the same thing that happened with The Village, with M. Night Shyamalan. 10 minutes into that movie, I went, oh, I bet it's blank, blank, and blank. And it was that. And when you, we've talked about this aspect of it. When you call a movie that early, and then it ends up being, like, that is the twist of the movie, and then, like, that's it, I go, oh, oh, uh, okay. Like, I'm glad everyone else really liked that, but I've... I've seen stuff like this a lot before and it just didn't it didn't really surprise me or wow me in the way it seemed to most everyone else. 
and that's fine. That's just it's just my opinion. And to be and to be fair to you and me as well, when it comes to movies like this, we really do not go into these movies looking for that twist. What's it gonna no, be? No. Some people clamor for that. Like they they go mm-hmm. in being like, ooh, I'm gonna try and figure it out. There's like an intention as an audience to go into a movie trying to solve it. We don't ever do that. No. Even if the movie does present itself like that, we understand that we're about to watch a movie that does this. Sure. But it is a problem if you do end up, you know, in your head being like, ah, I bet you this is how this is going to go. And we've talked about Jordan Peele's movies. You've done this for every single one of them. Yeah, that's it. So that leads me right to us. Us, I'm like... Okay, it I thought that movie started so strong, so effectively, and then essentially once they leave their house, which is about an hour into the movie, I thought it just completely fell apart. And I was like, the thing still looks good. The thing Lupita Nyong'o in a dual role is great in it. I love her so much. The acting is on point. It has a lot of good aspects about it, but similarly, again, I'm not going out looking for this stuff. There is a twist that happens in like literally the last scene, the last shot of that movie. I thought that was so obvious. I called that like 15, 20 minutes in to, to the movie. And I, I just had, I mean, I, I leaned over to Allie and like I, went, I did the thing where I was like, oh, oh. And she goes, what? And I went, um, n- nothing, I think. And she's like, just tell me, just tell me. So I told her what I thought was going to happen. And she was pissed when that eventually yeah. did happen. I went, but that was so obvious to me. Like, they, they almost spell it out for you. Like, my daughter, I just want my daughter back. I'm like, oh, so, okay, the blank, blank, and blank. Like, I, I get this. And no, I, I intentionally am not doing this when I see movies. I'm not trying to get ahead of them. I'm trying to stay mm-hmm. in, the, in their lane on their journey and not jump ahead. That doesn't make it fun for me. But so I've been like, I've appreciated Get Out and Us. I do have questions about both, about, you know, it's still really interesting to me that both of those movies in their third acts have incredibly long-winded explanations as to why everything is happening, which, like, when we were growing up, that it was always a joke that you don't do that. Like, it's a joke yeah. in Last Action Hero. Like, you got caught talking about the... Yeah. <laughs> the villain got caught at the end. It's like, I mean, yeah, even in The Incredibles, he's like, you caught me monologuing. Like, so that was always very curious to me. Like, hmm, this is weird that... He feels the need to go into so much detail, but ultimately what I realize is that he's making movies, I don't think for people my age or or older necessarily. I think he's using influences that we grew up on, and now he's making movies based on those. And this is a sign of just getting older, I suppose, because this is the first time this is really starting to happen. Like Stuff that I watched growing up that was original he is starting to use those things. So that's why a lot of it feels familiar to me. But to new viewers, it won't feel familiar. Yep. And that's how film goes. Like the movies I started out watching were probably took influences from something else. Goodfellas took influences from Jules and Jim. So there's always something to trace it back to. And this is why I'm not like out there criticizing his films. And this has been a very long lead up to Nope. But this is all to say, I saw Nope the day it came out and I thought it was good, not perfect. But I do think it is his best film yet and his most interesting. And I'm probably going to be alone in that. And that's okay because it, it took me a week to arrive at this point. So the acting is universally great. Daniel Kaluuya, Kiki Palmer, and holy Christ, Michael Wincott. I'm mentioning this a lot because of you. Because uh. the use of Michael Wincott is what makes me 
appreciate Jordan Peele as a director. Any fan of Michael Wincott, as we both are, we know how he can best be used. Yes. I'm not saying like, oh, we can dictate his career. I love every Michael Wincott performance, but sometimes he is underused and yes. underutilized, which is not his fault. It's the script's fault. Jordan Peele in Nope knows exactly how to use Michael Wincott. Like, exactly. There's a scene when Michael Wincott gets a phone call and he's at home. He's like reviewing some old nature footage and what looks like his home editing bay. And the compositions of his coverage in this scene are absolutely fucking stunning. And the camera's just sitting there. It's production design, cinematography. It almost, it damn near knocked the wind out of me. Just the placement, camera placement, timing of cuts, when to go in for the close-up, Wincott still performance, his voice. He, I mean, he knows how to use that voice so, so well. So when I did see Nope opening night, I kind of left with a shrug. I was like, I enjoyed my time with that, but I don't know if I'm going to see it again. This is true of Get Out, Us, and Nope. I do not research movies before I see them. Like, I didn't know shit about this. I know Jordan Peele made it. I hadn't seen a trailer, nothing. I did not realize that the cinematographer was Hoyte Van Hoytman, who shot the film largely on IMAX 65 millimeter film. And I live pretty close to a massive IMAX screen. So last night, I figured, what the hell? I'll just go check it out. I mean, why not? It seems like they're pitching this as an experience. And holy fuck, if you are a fan just of movies, of cinema, of the art form, you really have to treat yourself to this. Okay. I don't even know if, like, I can talk to you. Like, I don't even know if you're going to like the movie fully, but I swear to God that no one captures open spaces, skies, clouds, mountain landscapes, outer space, better than Hoyte Van Hoytman right now. He's quickly emerging as one of our top three or four best cinematographers. I mean, this is his last 10 years. Her, Interstellar, Spectra, Dunkirk, Ad Astra, Tenet, Nope, and Oppenheimer, which looks nuts. That's the last decade. It's like, ugh, I cannot put enough emphasis on how good looking this movie is. Everything about it and seeing it, literally seeing it last night in IMAX with the sound like all around you, it was a completely different experience. And it's not one that I think will translate at home as effectively, even on a huge TV and badass sound. Like, Go seeing this in IMAX is really, really going to be worth it. But long way of saying that the cinematography is definitely the best aspect of this movie to me. And if it doesn't, I mean, it would be it would be criminal if this is not nominated for the Oscar for cinematography. Fucking criminal. It looks great. It just does. I'm so glad that you that you told me that because I probably would not have gone to see this in IMAX. Mm -hmm. But now, uh, upon knowing this, that's exactly what I'm going to do. The movie just looks so good that I was willing to forgive things that I didn't, you know, I had some questions, not everything added up to me, fine, whatever. I'm not even describing what the movie's about because it is like a discovery. You need to go, if you've seen the preview, you're going to have some idea, but go enjoy it on your own, but really just appreciate the scope of how he captured all this. Like, it is it is a fantastic looking film. Like what I think is the best looking film of the year and what the Academy will nominate is very different. Like I thought Vortex was an amazing looking movie, but this is something that absolutely could be nominated and should be. It's, it was insane. The, oh my God, the images. It's stunning imagery. Before we move on to the next movie, really quick, yes. give me your Jordan Peele, his three movies in your favorite order. I would go right now, Nope, Get Out, and Us. And I watched Us right before I saw Nope, like the first time. And I just went, yeah, it's still not 
I don't know, it's still not hitting for me, but and it's not recency bias. When I was in Nope last night, I went, I've never had this much of a pleasant movie going experience at a Jordan Peele movie. And it wasn't even like sold out, like get out was packed. People are screaming at the screen. They're scared, which is good for that type of movie. I'm very curious to see where he goes. His movies are getting longer. The first time I saw Nope, I my main complaint was I didn't need to be that long. Last night I didn't mind at all at its length. So there, you know, it'd be cool to like sit down and rewatch get out and note back to back us is in firmly in last place but none of these are bad movies they're not like terrible movies perhaps i'm even judging them a little too harshly but it he's a director worth exploring and he has i mean there's so many references for film and tv buffs that they'll love from nope that you know some are obvious some aren't and the acting is great like kiki palmer is (laughs) great but oh my god michael wincott is just oh he's he's brilliant he's absolutely brilliant And Jordan Peele is emerging as one of today's directors that is sellable as a director. Like a lot of times you'll go see a movie just because he's the director and we don't have too many of those. We don't. So and we have to champion them, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, we do. A hundred percent. Now, you know how I feel about Ryan Gosling. I do. He is one of my all time favorite actors to watch. The goose is on the loose. He's got a lot going on. Now, The Gray Man is a movie that is kind of unanimously across the board not getting great reception. Now, sell me on The Gray Man. Nope. (laughs) I mean, I can't. Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans, they each got 20 mil for it. Ryan Gosling hasn't been in a movie in five years. Yeah, he hasn't. So, and you know, come get your money, dude. I'm not hating on you at all. We know you got the stuff, but get your dollars up. Barbie is going to be its own thing. I'm, I'm ecstatic for it. I can't wait for that movie. Like, I have no idea what it's going to be. I'm here for it. But, you know, yeah, it just, it just wasn't for me, <laughs> the gray man. I, I think it's good to occasionally watch these big movies. I, I for me at least, because I like to keep everything in balance. Like, all right, everyone's talking about it. I just, the whole time I'm watching this, I'm set. This sounds so like crotchety, but I, I don't know what's more concerning. The fact that huge movies like this rely so heavily on green screen that they literally don't even film like in backyards anymore, like in an mm. actual backyard. They don't even build like a yard and a house on a stage. You're just standing on a green stage and they build it all. And it it's so no, it's just so obvious to me there it looks so fake and i don't know what's worse if this is happening so much or that people just don't really seem to care anymore and this is like just the way big movies are now like and maybe <sighs> i mean top gun maverick wasn't like that that was an expensive no. movie but i that fused in so that is an aspect of these types of big movies that it I, that loses me a little bit i just don't understand like where things are i don't understand eye lines the editing is like all over the place it's also like i I mean not hundreds but so many people get fucking iced out in this movie like needlessly just gunshot 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 and it's still funny to me that like that's okay but we can't say like fuck twice in a pg-13 movie Uh, like you can't show any sensuality even in like r-rated movies anymore and i'm watching this and i'm like all these people getting iced out are like innocent people. Like they're police, but they didn't do anything wrong. They're just like working a shift, like guarding tourists and just getting iced out. I don't know. 
I, I wouldn't recommend it, especially for how long it is. But, you know, that it's same with Spiderhead, honestly. It's also a Netflix film directed by Joseph Kaczynski, who directed Top Gun Maverick. This was re-teaming him with Miles Teller, co-star of Top Gun Maverick. And I would just recommend going to see Top Gun Maverick again. I mean, I saw it three times in the theater. Why not? It's still in there. But yeah, the the Netflix original movie isn't necessarily i'm not really the audience for that i try to watch most things though but the only reason we're talking about it here is just because we're breaking things up a little bit we thought it'd be fun but you know yeah i don't i don't know man who is netflix movies actually for i mean that's yeah they are all over the place and they're not really hitting you know we talk a lot about the power of the dog because that was the movie that netflix really championed it was a big runner to win best picture if you listen to our previous pod episodes about the Oscars, we'll tell you how we feel about that. But come, you, you got The Gray Man, Spiderhead, you've got Windfall, you've got all these Netflix movies coming out, and they're just not really hitting. It, it really makes you wonder, like, what do you, what audience are you searching for? Because it just seems like you're just throwing everything against the board. And nothing is really sticking. And I think that's hurting them a lot right now. I mean, stock down, losing subscribers. They're, they're, Netflix is about to implement a lot of new rules, folks. They are going to make it increasingly difficult to share passwords or impossible, probably, without paying an extra fee. They're going to start having ads. All this stuff is coming. Like, this is coming soon because they're losing. This is one of the reasons why, like, Netflix is honestly the app, the streaming app I use the least. Because I'm unless I'm binging a TV show, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, but I don't go for movies on there much because of original movies. I tend to like them the least. However, however, I usually do like one or two a year. I think I'm I'm here for Blonde. That's all I'll say. Oh, NC yeah. 17 Marilyn Monroe fantasy biopic. I had no idea Adrian Brody was playing Arthur Miller in it. I just found out that's amazing. So there's like a movie like that, The Irishman. I I absolutely love that film. So I get it. But maybe there's something to be said of like, hey, Russo Brothers, we're going to give you $200 million. Or hey, Michael Bay, we're going to give you $150 million to make Six Underground. Like, and, you know, we're not going to give you many notes. Like, it, maybe some of these people need notes. I don't know. Like, maybe yeah. they need some structure and discipline. Yeah. So Gray Man, Spiderhead, you know, I'll probably just pass. This is a movie that I don't think anyone that listens to What Are You Watching would expect <laughs> a a review on. Uh, but coming off of Spiderhead, you know, Chris Hemsworth, talk to me about Thor, Love and Thunder. Yeah, this is a really like particular circumstance. I just have a funny story about this. So I was like traveling for work and then I was doing a little road tripping. So I found myself in Kansas City for four hours, this is like a couple weeks ago. And right near the airport is this like massive AMC. So I had four hours to kill. So I went, you know, I'm just going to go to the theater and pick one, like one that starts now that I haven't seen and I don't care what it is. I don't, you know, Elvis might be a little long, but if the timing works, I'll go do it. And I never have an opportunity to do this stuff. So I go, sure enough, Thor Love and Thunder and IMAX is playing right then. And I go, why not? I haven't seen a Thor film since the first one. <laughs> haven't seen a Marvel film since Endgame. I've never seen a Marvel TV show, but it is a sort of movie experiment. It's like, will I be able to follow this movie on any level, not having kept up with the MCU? Will it stand alone as its own movie? And yeah, I could keep up with it. Like, it's not rocket science. It stands as its own writer, director, 
Tayaka Waititi, he voices a character who keeps filling in narrative gaps for people like me. But the reason I made the decision to buy a ticket is that I heard that Christian Bale was the main heavy so and that he was really yep. good. And he was. Like, he fucking goes for it in this. And it's, I just love that. I love that, you know, they, he was probably paid very, very well. And he goes, yeah, why not, like, do one of these, get my money up, but still, like, I'm going to do a bail performance. And he did. And yep. he was really, really good. So, honestly, the most memorable thing, man, of seeing this movie, Jesus, this has happened to me once in my life, once, and now twice. So this was like 1 p.m. on like a Wednesday, Thursday. It's not crowded. I'm in the middle of Kansas City. I buy a ticket and I go in there and I'm the only one there. And I'm like, okay. And when I bought the ticket, I, there was a few of us, but they like weren't sitting. You know, people were scattered around. So I'm sitting in there. You know, I have like 10 minutes before the movie starts. And that guy walks in. This is an IMAX theater. There's like 400 seats. And he sits right next to me. Unforgivable. Right fucking next to me like he's my dad or something and i was like uh right next to me and you know we all you have to buy your tickets like before now but when he bought that ticket he saw that there was someone sitting right there and he made the conscious decision to click that seat right next to mine and then come sit down so i like psychology and sociology and i sit there and i'm like i'm gonna ask this dude yeah (laughs) why he did this I'm going to try to do it in not a rude way. So sitting there and I'm like, he seems like a nice enough guy. And I go, you know, I, I'm, I'm just wondering. And I, and I kind of pitch a scenario to him and I go, there's only about four of us in here. I think there's like 400 seats. May I ask strictly like sociologically speaking, why did you choose to sit next to one other person in here when you could have sat anywhere? I mean, you can guess his answer if you want. He had no clue what I was talking about. A totally oblivious like what do you mean this just looked like a good seat and i'm like oh okay i'm i'm gonna move down two seats because you know covid and i'm just you know there's a ton of room in here so i get it all right, all right man <laughs> and that was it but i i mean you know we're all different but to be like oblivious to that is it it was just I, that's only happened to me i've seen i've been to the movie theater thousands of times that has only happened to me once in my life before it's just weird it's weird this makes me fucking angry yeah. because because yeah. I would have loved an answer, any other answer from this guy other than that. Because if you have zero awareness, because like there's got to be an element to like, oh, I'm not going to think about a fellow person potentially next to me that might not want me here in an empty like you're so clueless to your environment or surroundings it's different if it was packed right it's a sold out I, then show. i get it yeah then i get yeah. it yeah but if there's 400 seats and there's only like four other people in the entire theater to not have a clue and be like oh i'm just gonna go and sit right here and then <laughs> even upon entering the theater seeing how much vast open space right. there is to then still and see that, oh, there's one person right next to me. Maybe I didn't know that when I bought the ticket. But then to see that there's one person to be like, no, I'm still just going to sit right in this seat. I'm sorry. That is a level of unawareness for like your fellow person that is inexcusable. <laughs> yeah. Fuck you. I would have loved if he was like, hey, man, I'll be honest with you, man. I, I'm just, just a little lonely. I, I kind of <laughs> like the movie going experience next to somebody. 
I, I would have done that. I would have. I would have understood. I would have been like, I think a buffer seat. We could have done that. But part of me thinks, like psychologically, he looked at the screen and he saw that. You know, we see like a, a seat that's colored, so we just pick the one next to it, and we go, okay, now I'm, I, I you know, like get closer together, bunch up, herd, meant to, I, I don't know, but it was, it's just so bizarre. Like that doesn't, as many times as I've been to the theater, and that having only happened to me twice in my lifetime, it's, I don't know, it's just weird. He wasn't mean about it when I asked him, and I wasn't mean either. I was trying to be really cool. Yeah, he yeah. was, and he wasn't confused why I was asking. He was like. Me asking was the first it had occurred to him, clearly. <laughs> so then I moved, and it was like, all right, I'm going to move down here. And it was fine. It wasn't awkward, but it was like, what the fuck, dude? He liked the movie. I asked him after. He liked it more than I did, I think. <laughs> Good on him. Anyway, moving on. Another movie that's uncomfortable. I, I actually <laughs> have a vested curiosity about this because Ethan Hawke is one of my all-timers. And I am very intrigued that he took this performance on. It seems like something that isn't just a role that just came to him. It's something that piqued his interest. So um, the black phone. Yeah. So you are a good portion of the audience to see this because you love Ethan Hawke so much. And like I love there are act, there are some actors who are just my people like Michael Fassbender. If he's going to be in a movie, I'm going to see it. Yep. If it's Assassin's Creed. Okay, there I am. If it's yep. X-Men, whatever we're on, okay, there I am. Like, I'll show up for Hawk, so will you. And he's great here. And it, it's the same thing with Bale, Thor, Love, and Thunder, because, like, these guys are just going for it in, admittedly, not the best, you know, movies. Like, this movie's okay. He had, Hawk has a relationship with the director, Scott Derrickson, and they work well together, and we get to see different sides of Hawk in his movies, which I appreciate most of Ethan Hawke's face in this movie is covered up with like masks, but he's very scary. He's a very convincing psychopath. There's like two different aspects of the movie and his aspect was the part I liked a lot more. His, Oh, oh I must give the movie away. Never mind. <laughs> That's great. It's like, Oh, it's a crazy spoiler. Just slipped out. But I don't think you would particularly like the movie or its content, but I really think you would like him in it. And that would be cool to talk to you about. When we have our people, men and women, actors of all sorts, and they do a good performance in like a subpar movie, I'm still like, all right, cool, awesome, awesome. And every review that I've seen of The Black Phone, even if the movie, if people think the movie's like, oh, okay, everyone is saying Ethan Hawke's great. And that's, that's like, all right, cool, cool. <laughs> I mean, that, that, was, that was pretty much my takeaway from The Northman as well, was yeah. like my favorite part of the movie was Ethan Hawke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, well. It's about the trailer gave that one away, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, Jesus, it bothers man. me so fucking it, much, God, man. It was like so obvious. I, I, I was like, why do I even need to see it? I know everything that happens yeah. now. And when the movie was done, I, that was exactly my impression. I know we're kind of drifting away talking about the Northman. I think this is a good conversation about trailers. The trailer for the Northman ruined my entire experience watching the movie. Yes. I saw everything I needed to know in the trailer, and when I saw the movie, I go, you know what? The trailer was better. A lot of things to keep in mind about trailers, the those are created by marketing and publicity departments. The director may be able to go, uh, yeah, okay, that's fine, but they, largely, directors are not cutting their own, own trailers. There are a few who are allowed to. Tarantino does. Nolan does. Those top, top, top tier people can cut their own trailers. Now more than ever, these marketing departments seem... They just don't care if they're going to show you the whole movie. So yeah, it's, I've always maintained, I'm not going to watch a trailer of something that I know for a fact I'm going to see. I know I'm going to see 
Nope. So that's why I didn't watch a trailer. There are some movies that I'm on the fence about, and I'll be like, all right, I'll give this a shot. There's one coming up in A24 film. Bodies, bodies, bodies. bodies, bodies. bodies. And I've seen that trailer before, like every movie I've seen in the past month. And that's something I had no idea what that was. But because of the energy that trailer's cut with, and it's a red band trailer, I'm like, all right, yeah, I'll see this movie. And I I may have waited till streaming before, but I'll go to the theater to see this. But even then, I'm only half paying attention to it. Everyone's talking about Anna de Armas's voice in Blonde, Anna de Armas's voice in Blonde. That, that's a whole other story. But I'm not watching the trailer yet because I, I just don't, I don't need to. I'm going to see the movie. If you fuckers <laughs> critique her voice in that, and that's the only like, negative aspect of the movie, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for every actor who's <laughs> delivered a shitty accent in the past 10 years. And man, oh man, I got a lot of them. I just got them buried. You have to hear about it all the time. But in big, big movies, some of them even win Oscars, and these accents are terrible. If I'm willing to let this shit go, give out a break. <laughs> All right. You're going to love my story on the next one. This is a movie that I honestly, I've never even heard of. So, um, but it's something you wanted to talk about. So what is Halftime? Halftime is a documentary, a Netflix original documentary about Jennifer Lopez. Oh, partly the producer. Uh, Believe me, this is going to be worth mentioning. Okay. And it basically, it's like a year in the life. She's beginning to gear up to perform the Super Bowl halftime show and hopefully get nominated for the Best Supporting Actress Oscar for Hustlers. So the Hustlers narrative in this documentary is fascinating. It's not the whole movie. It's just an aspect of the movie. But because Lopez is nominated for Golden Globe, she is absolutely ecstatic. I don't think I've ever seen someone more excited to be nominated for a Golden Globe in my life. (laughs) But then something really, really interesting happens in the documentary. Every single person in her very large entourage keeps telling her over and over that she will win the Golden Globe. You are going to win the Golden Globe. They're treating it like it's a foregone conclusion. And I'm watching this documentary now, knowing that they're talking about the 2019 awards race. And as a movie freak and an awards movie freak, I knew that the only person that was going to win every Best Supporting Actress Award in 2019 was Laura Dern for Marriage Story. She, it was that thing. Like, she was cleaning up. Yeah. She swept. She won everything. Golden Globe. Like, it, everything. So <laughs> that was one of the locks of the 2019 Oscar narrative. And I remember that leading up to this Golden Globe ceremony that it was a foregone conclusion that Dern was going to win. What's incredible is that no one ever thinks to communicate this to Jennifer Lopez. No one gives her a reality check and manages expectations. And maybe that's not what you're supposed to do with super, super AA listers because you need to keep them like in this bubble. But she so assumes that she is a lock to win that when she loses, she is fucking heartbroken, like crying, sobbing, heartbroken. I've never in my life seen such clear evidence of someone being this upset at losing a Golden Globe. It's, it's not a major part of the documentary, but, and as a producer, the fact that she had creative control over what went in the movie, I cannot believe they included this. Like, it, you, I'm just stunned that no one around her went like, hey, you know, this is cool, but like these awards like aren't a big deal. I, I mean, you know, it's like 80 people. They're kind of racist. <laughs> I mean, now they're gone. Like now they disbanded the Golden Globes, you know, it's just nuts. So that's, as a movie fan and a, and a movie award show fan, <laughs> I wanted to see that. So that's all. It's just a little uh, aside about halftime. It's not, it's not like a, 
particularly good documentary, but I, again, she is just heartbroken that she loses this Golden Globe. And then when she does not get nominated for the Oscar, that's like the final nail in it, that she's just so defeated and devastated. And that wasn't, I wouldn't have mind if she was nominated. I actually thought she was going to be nominated for the Oscar, but I wasn't surprised that she wasn't. But anyway. This is a fascinating tale of what certain levels of fame and success in a world that we have really kind of made where entertainment is everything that mm-hmm, is the mm-hmm. mecca of anything you could do in life, the way that we kind of put it on that pedestal. I always find it very interesting to hear stories like this because, you know, acting is a profession that if you were to go back 200 years ago, more or less, actors were the bottom of the totem yep, pole. Yep. Like they were spit on in public and only used to make the royalties laugh or be entertained and then like oh thank you actor for entertaining me now go back to your shithole and let me like give you the scraps of what i eat right that's what actors were and now they are just the ultimate of ultimates so i find something like this to be a very very fascinating story of how we have come so far and maybe even worse off i don't know i don't know which one's better well it's very interesting final thought on this it makes me wonder how often this happens because she is one of the most famous people in the world yeah but she she's surrounded by yes people yes men and women who are just like yes you are going to win this yes you will get that nomination i wonder how many like super a-listers genuinely think they're going to win this stuff because their team is telling them that like is that better to assume you're going to win it or is it better to be hit with a little reality and like, this may not go your way, even though you're J-Lo, like, you know, Laura Dern has been acting a lot longer than you and she doesn't have an Oscar or anything. So she may win this and that's probably what's going to happen. I don't know. I would appreciate the perspective. Like, keep me in check. Keep me in check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool, cool. But, you know, I'm also not super, super famous. So, yeah, I was going to say maybe the other side of this isn't the only way that you can be this super, super right. famous right. is to operate on a level where Everything is a win. Yeah. There is no losing. There is no foregone conclusion of the reality that Laura Dern is probably going to win this. You just can't think of that. Like, it can't enter through your brain. Yeah. It's very yeah. fascinating. It is. It is. So uh, we we toyed with this idea of um, a few months ago of bringing out a series of Criterion movie exclusive reviews that we really, really liked. And we we kind of went in and out with it, but we don't want to kill it altogether. We want to still keep it alive. So we're trying to find a way to pepper this in. So we both have a Criterion. Is this Criterion channel or movie? Yours is a Criterion movie. Mine was a channel pick. But yeah, right, like so. the Criterion 22 thing was something. It was a little ambitious to say we're going to do this every month because I realized in month like three... <laughs> <laughs> that this is the only shit I'm going to be watching. Yeah. I have to watch other stuff. So we'll just check in with Criterion, you know, as it as it goes. This whole thing is just one giant experiment. Welcome to What Are You Watching? <laughs> and we will always champion this. Oh, like, yeah. This is a thing. Where, like, these these are the movies. But let's start with yours. We'll finish up the, the Alex Withrow interview <laughs> with what is your Criterion Channel breakout. Yeah, I saw An American Tragedy made in 1931, directed by Joseph von Sternberg, and I had never heard of this movie. My favorite thing to do on that app, I think, is to 
open it up like as the month is kind of nearing the end, like the early 20s, like the 20th, 21st of the month and see what's leaving at the end of the month. Because then it's like, okay, I, I only have five days to watch this. Like it's a good excuse, little motivation. And this was one such case. And I read the description. I'm like, well, an American tragedy is that's the basis for one of my favorite movies, A Place in the Sun. And then I find out, oh, this is a movie adaptation from Theodore Dreiser's novel just made 20 years before A Place in the Sun. And there, there's a lot of similarities, a lot of differences. So we are talking, we've talked a lot about new movies on this pod today, but I also am very, very often going back to the old stuff and just being like marveled, like 1931, it didn't move like a 1931 movie. I don't, I don't know. It was just really cool. Like this movie's 90 years old and it was still a really, really good movie. <laughs> so fuck, but you watched one that I have loved for a long time. It's a very, very difficult movie to understand. Tell me what you thought of <laughs> Steven Soderbergh's Schizopolis. Oh, this movie just fucking rocks. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Oh my God. <laughs> I threw on the Criterion channel and I was like, you know what? And this is a rule that you and I always talk about. Not a rule, but this is something that you and I always kind of talk about. You do it like masterfully, where as soon as you put on a streaming platform, <laughs> the first movie that just piques a little bit of interest right. to you, you're like done. Yep. Boom. Hitting play. I think this is a big problem is a lot of people like go through that wormhole of like, oh, I would like to watch this, but let's see what else is out that there. That is one of the most infuriating things I can do with a friend. If I'm at someone's home and they start doing that, and then it's 30 minutes later, and I'm like, I already gave you eight fucking things to watch, man. Like, I don't care. Yeah. I'm, I'm not like yep. biased about this. I don't necessarily need to watch like a movie I didn't like again, but th I just gave you eight ones and good reasons why we could watch them. This, the constant scroll is just... It kills me. It kills me. And if there's one thing I recommend all of you to do is to just do what I've done for this is just whether it's Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, Criterion, pick the first movie that gives you that little spark of interest yep. and just see what happens. And that's what I did with this. And oh, my God, <laughs> I cannot express how good of a time I had with this. No idea what it was. And this movie probably isn't for everybody. It's a complete farcical it's nonsense it's complete and utter nonsense yes yeah. it's intentional nonsense written directed and starring steven starring. Soderbergh. yeah it he does like most everything with it it's a very out there film i mean it plays with language it plays with form it plays with everything that you could play with in a story structure i i'm gonna use this word and i think it's a perfect word for this movie going to use the word brilliant. Oh, nice. Brilliant for what it does. Yeah, yeah, it's I like that. It is it's sort of like brilliant in its absurdity, which is all very intentional. This is Soderbergh, you know, Soderbergh is no stranger to what I like to call a fuck it all movie. Ocean Ocean's yep. 12 might be the best example where he's like, "Oh, you guys liked Ocean's 11? Watch this. I'm, I'm going to go make a European art movie <laughs> but with the Ocean's 11 IP and all these famous people." I love Ocean's 12. I do too. Schizopolis was like his first big fuck it all movie because he wins the Palme d'Or for Sex Lies and Videotape his first movie. And then his next few movies are just bombs. He cannot connect. They're not connecting with audiences. And he thought Schizopolis would be his last movie. He's like, I, I think I just have to go find another path, another avenue. So he makes it kind of with that in the back of his mind. And then things work out and he gets the offer to direct out of sight. And that two years later, and that changed everything. 
when you go watch Schizopolis, if you dare, you're just watching a really, really talented director play, like you said, with form. That's a really good way to describe it. Play with all the tools in a way that is absurd, but he also just, he's like, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if I'm going to be a director. Like, I don't, and God, imagine if, imagine if his career just stopped after Schizopolis. It would be devastating, but thankfully he got out of sight and away we went. Yeah, I don't think he we'd talk about him at all if it if it wasn't yeah. for that. Yeah. We certainly wouldn't be talking about Schizopolis. No, not at all. I think it's one of those rare movies where it's because of the director that we know now. It's like, oh, check out like this movie yeah. that yeah. he's got in his filmography, and you're like, the fuck? Because <laughs> he's never done anything like this. I know, I know, since. not again. Yeah. I do want to get some TV shows out of the way before we wrap up here. Yeah. Hacks on HBO. This is a public service announcement that the great character actor, Christopher McDonald, has been nominated for his first ever award, Mm. an Emmy Award for Guest Actor in a Comedy Series for Hacks. This motivated me to watch the whole show very quickly. I loved it. I love him. Oh, my God. I'm so glad. He's been nominated for his first award ever. He's never had an Emmy nomination. Never. This is a guy. Oh, my God. He has so many credits. He has like 220 credits. Obviously, people know I love Chris Mack so much, so... That was fun just to breeze through that. It's Gene Smart's really great. His chemistry with her. It's just, you know, it's a fun, breezy show. I finally got around to Peaky Blinders. Um, Good. Thankful that the seasons, there's six seasons, six episodes each. The first season started 10 years ago. And while the show is good, it is not a 10 years long good show to me. Mm. Like if I would have started season one in 2012, I probably would have lost the thread by now, but this is this is why I do advocate for the binge model sometimes. I do this all the time. I did this with um, Breaking Bad. I went, I don't like starting shows when I don't know when and if they're going to end. Like there's, you know, legacy shows like Billions. Like when is this show going to fucking end? Like I just lost the thread of that yeah. so long ago. I used to watch every episode, but when it was like, okay, Peaky Blinders is done after six seasons, I watched it and... Uh, I was not, I apparently a lot of people agree with me. I was not a fan of the series finale at all to like to a shocking degree. I I was just left baffled. And then a quick Google search, I figured out they have always planned to make a final movie, like a two hour movie. And I went, all right, good. Thank God you're planning. So that's interesting. I'm like, okay, cool. You're going to, if that's what you're going to do, I'm here for it. Cause when I thought that's how the show ended, I went, are you fucking kidding me? Like you're just, but thankfully, no, that wasn't the case. And then real quick, few rewatches. You know, I get to see old movies in the theater sometime, which is great. I got to see A Few Good Men last week in the theater. And just go do this, people, if you have a chance, because I've only ever seen that movie, you know, VHS, DVD, TV. The thing, I never would have thought that that was Robert Richardson's, one of his best looking movies. I mean, he won Oscars for JFK, The Aviator. He shot Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But that movie looks gorgeous, and it really, it was a reminder of, yeah, they really did used to make movies for big screen presentation. Now movie Gray Man is made for TV presentation. That's why it's there. Not a lot of people saw that in the theater, so I just love seeing older movies like that in the theater. It's so fun. And then I was telling, I was texting you last night. I watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood last night, a nice rewatch. And Mm. you know, it had been about a year. It was so much fun. One thing I thought while watching it, because, you know, I like Parasite, <laughs> but it didn't, it didn't need them all. It just, it didn't need them all. Got foreign film, great. Give it picture, director, screenplay, give it two of those. QT deserved one. He deserved screenplay, yeah. director, or picture. It didn't need all three 
or four parasite that is. So what I'm thinking is I genuinely, I honestly, in my heart of heart, think he made that movie to get that best director Oscar or get that best picture Oscar because he hasn't yet. When that didn't happen, I wonder if this, if he really is only making one more movie, I wonder, last night was the first time I thought about this, will he try to go big? Will he try to do something that will get him that Oscar? Like once upon a time in Hollywood, it's like, that's a QT Oscar movie there. That is a love letter to Los Angeles, love letter to the industry. There's no, like he did everything right. There's violence at the end, but you know, it wasn't grotesque or excessive throughout the entire thing. Okay. Or is he just going to do like some genre movie? Like, is it going to be another death proof or is it going to, is he going to do like Pulp Fiction and Glorious Bastards Hollywood level? I, I don't know. It's, it's just like a really fun thing to think about. I don't know. It is because also if he, if, if, well, if the industry assumes that Quentin Tarantino is going to only make one more movie and he is one of, let's just say he's one of the greatest directors ever. Yeah. And he doesn't have an Oscar. He could pump out a piece of shit. Well, <laughs> he could do a hardcore horror movie that just for the fun of it, because he never has. Like, I would like to see that. He he could go in any direction. But I've always thought with his last one, I don't know why I've had the inkling that he'll go more like Jackie Brown, like which is a great movie, but something a little more humble, a little smaller. I don't know, though. Maybe he'll try to like go bigger and try to win that Oscar. I don't know. It would be. It's so weird what people have Oscars and what don't. I know. <laughs> it's it's okay. so weird. Okay. David Fitcher. Okay. Hey. What? <laughs> yeah. Here's how we're going to end. I'm going to do, this is my, what are you watching recommendation? You don't have to do one if you don't want. I don't even care unless you have one. Oh, I got one. <laughs> oh, well, I'm going to go first then because this is got how I'm going to end. <sighs> I'm going to catch shit for this. This is how I'm going to end my well, remarks today. You're going first. I'm going first. This is the first ever. The first time I've ever gone first. Really? First time you've ever gone first. I will screenshot ever. the fucking spreadsheet and post it on Twitter and see. I'll, I'll go through every episode. Yeah. Oh, no, you got it, but you're going to doctor it. I know how your scheming mind works. I could doctor a spreadsheet. I can't doctor every fucking episode. The episodes are there. Go listen to them. I'm done. <laughs> For the first time ever, last weekend, I watched Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. Oh, I'd yes. never seen it. I'd seen like the first 10 minutes and it wasn't, it just eluded me. It, I wasn't putting it off. I wasn't like, eh, fuck. It was no like elitist. And I, I don't know. I, I don't know. It had just eluded me and it's on. I don't know. I saw it one day on place Hulu or something, and that's a perfect comedy. It's a that perfect is comedy. A great, great comedy, and I loved every single thing about it. Just like calling it. <laughs> oh my god! Even in the beginning, like you can't go on stage doing <laughs> things about his entire life. I mean, all of it—the walk, the line, send-ups. Like most people listening to this have probably seen Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. I can't believe I hadn't, and it was like a big comedy black hole that I had in my watching. So I'm so glad I got to check it out. And I just died laughing. I've seen it one and a half times now because I started it again the next day because I just thought it was so funny. <laughs> it's great. So yeah, oh, man, now, I love it. I'm so glad you've seen it. I, but I've always had such an interesting like conversation piece to make about this is that one, if you've never seen Walk the Line, you are going to miss out on almost 90%, I would say, of the comedy of the movie. Yeah. Because it's a complete takeoff of Walk the Line. Now, however, if you've never seen Walk the Line and you see Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, 
and then you see walk the line, walk the line will be ruined. Oh, absolutely. It will be completely ruined. You will not be able to take that movie seriously. And I love walk the line. I think walk the line is a great movie. And, but if you've never seen it, then it will be ruined for you if you've seen Walk Hard. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, to go back, to kind of bring it back to Jordan Peele as we're closing out here about how it's kind of common, at least it. I thought it was common that in horror movies, you don't want to explain too much. Or when you do, you're going to get kind of dinged and made fun of. And that's something he, he doesn't do that note. But in Get Out and Us, there's just so much explanation. Similarly, like what all the stuff that Walk Hard is making fun of, and that movie's made in 2007, it's my understanding that the new movie Elvis like commits all those sins that Walk Hard is making fun of. Yeah. And it's like, so you're still just <laughs> doing this shit. Like you're all still telling these stories in the same way. Maybe that's not fair. I haven't seen Elvis, but you know, I just it's it's great when they are able to make fun of something. And then that type of genre is still stu- so stuck in its way, like the biopic, that even though they're being made fun of ruthlessly for a feature film, they still some of them still don't change their format. They're still like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I don't care. Nope. Oh, it's great. This is it. All right, what do you have, Crybaby? So for the first time ever, I'm going second. Christ. And I am recommending off of my Steven Soderbergh experience with Schizopolis, I'm going with one of my favorite Soderbergh movies and one, coincidentally, one of Matt Damon's favorite performances he's ever done, and that's The Informant. Oh, what a great call, man. And that is a movie that you recommended to me when we first met. And you were like, you really got to check this out. And it might be honestly the closest to Schizopolis, it, not in the way of form, but in a little bit of absurdity. It's probably yes. the closest to that level of ridiculousness. And but it's all based on a true story. So that's <laughs> what really grounds it. Uh, great movie. I like that movie a lot. Dude, I'm I'm fucking I'm literally getting chills right now. I see it here on the rack. I'm firing that fucker up as soon as we're done today. You sold me. That's a big compliment because I usually I'll detox from like a pod, you know, recording session with something we've talked about. There's a great commentary for that movie too. Very absurd. The first time I saw that, it's kind of like in Bruges, where we people were in the theater and we're like, oh, this is funny. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know we we're supposed to laugh at this because his voiceover, we talked a lot about voiceover on the Goodfellas and Blow episodes, is so absurd. But because it's so stream of conscious, and he's like, I wonder if I should get this new car. I want and like every time he parks, <laughs> he's like driving a different sports car, and you're like, who the fuck is this guy? But also, also, oh, that stars one of my favorite character actors, Melanie Linsky, who plays his wife. Oh, and yeah. That he that guy is based on a true story, and he was a compulsive liar. And to see someone finally at the end of it, someone who cannot help themselves from lying, to finally get caught in that lie that you can't walk or talk your way out of, he handles that so well. He Damon, I mean, he gained a lot of weight for it. And a- almost all the supporting characters, supporting cast, are comedians. Which is really like funny and intentional, but they're all playing it straight. Yep. Joel McHale. It's a really interesting choice, but oh man, that's a great call. I love that movie, The Informant. Hell yeah. So good. All right. Well, fun to talk about new movies. We even got some old ones in there. Rest in peace, Paul Sorvino. You do not always go first, you little asshole, Nick Dostal. <laughs> but as always, everyone, thanks so much for listening and happy watching. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. You can watch my films and read my movie blog at alexwithrow.com. NicholasDostal.com is where you can find all of Nick's film work. 
If you have any questions or comments, please email us at whatareyouwatchingpodcast at gmail.com. And of course, you can find us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W underscore podcast. Next time, we're going to discuss a topic no one expects us to, our favorite romantic comedies. And wow, do we have a wide range of movies to talk about. Stay tuned.